This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to a bonus episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie. I'm Danielle. We are here to bonus with you. We are jacked up on caffeine. Oh my God. Can't tell you how much caffeine I've had today. (laughs) I feel crazy. (sighs) That's the perfect mindset to be in for this particular bonus. Because we are going to talk about some stuff. Yeah, explain to the folks what this episode is going to be about. So we we did an episode recently about um, headbanger. It's called Headbangers Ball was our theme, and uh, we basically dug into the movies American movie and the decline of Western civilization to the heavy metal years, and the decline of Western civilization too brought up so many memories for both Millie and I that we just feel like we needed to extend that conversation. So we're going to be talking about our heavy metal, our former heavy metal youth experience <laughs> today. Yes, yes, yes. So exciting. And like like we said, it's piggybacking off of the episode from last week. So if you haven't listened to that episode, maybe listen to that first and then come back to this one. But I yeah, we felt like we couldn't contain our enthusiasm to that episode. So now it's spilling over <laughs> into a bonus. Um, and also just sort of like I think for both of us, we had such personal histories with it. So, yes. um, and I honestly really feel this. I don't know if you feel this way, too, but I really feel that younger people aren't really fully aware of this era. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I feel like if somebody just like opened an internet vault slightly, they would find the most insane shit. Like the, the, like people would blow their tops. Like, I just feel like I'm like, Oh, I'm waiting for a 23 year old to find out like David Lee Roth or something. I don't know. Like David Lee Roth's solo career. Um, oh no. And no, I mean, look, they're going to find the video for Yankee Rose. Here's what's going to happen is there someone will this will happen. Somebody will discover somebody in their 20s or teens will discover 80s metal and immediately cancel it all because it was all completely unhinged. Like David Lee Roth jumping around and like African masks and shit. It's like that kind of unhinged. <laughs> so yes. like they'll find it, they will cancel it, but that doesn't mean they're going to understand it and understand why that was so formative for us <laughs> to have to live in that time. Yeah, I mean it's like basically the girls 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 video by Motley Crue. It just feels like it feels so naughty in a, in the modern context, right? It's yeah. like I just feel like somebody would go, I can't believe they allowed that to happen. Exactly. 
But also, this is, I do think it is an era that deserves to be studied because this is specifically 80s metal. I believe is the absolute worst of what can happen when you have white guys running the show. Yeah. When you have white guys hopped up on coke and running everything, that's where 80s metal comes from and where you can get to see these like disgusting displays or just like over sexualized displays because they were running everything. So they were all in the same club. And if MTV would put it on, then everyone put it on. Yeah, exactly. It was all very commercially popular and there was a lot of different bands. Um there were bands like Motley Crue and Metallica that were around in the early 80s. And, you know, and even that was a little tamer than what happened, like, towards the end of the 80s. And I kind of don't know how to explain that. <laughs> I wonder if it's because, like, at that point, the bands were so drunk and high that they couldn't even be in their own videos for long. So they're like, let's just make it about the, the girls. Let's just make it about the ladies. <laughs> well, it's so funny because they're... um. There's this amazing Pat Oswalt joke that he talks about. I think it's on his first album, or maybe it's the second album. I don't really know. But he talks about how he kind of goes through the kind of video cliches that were going on at that time where it was like, you know, groups of guys basically doing something and then they spot a group of women and their brains just like liquefy and they just get like (laughs) horned out or whatever. Like, and I just am like, that concept is so crazy because it is that thing where you're watching videos and scenes of grown men who are acting like Looney Tunes cartoons, like when their eyes are like popping out of their heads because they see like a female skunk or whatever. It's like, (laughs) They're tr- they have those moments of like, whoa, I can't believe it. She's so hot. And what's you know? bonkers about that is that like they're kind of venerating women at the same time they are just being so misogynistic. And it's like, oh, this look at this beautiful queen walking before me. I immediately have to do something hyper disgusting to make sure that she knows I'm paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird convoluted mix that we grew up with. It's strange. Like the sexual sexualization and sexuality in heavy metal has always been weird to me. Totally. Let me tell you, I've been watching the one video all day in preparation for this. Not just because I love that song. And it was the first song I tried to learn on guitar. Oh my God. I bought a guitar from my bed. My friend Angela had a, had a, her brother, Justin, her older brother um, was a really good guitar player. And when I was in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, I bought, a, a red guitar, red electric guitar and a tiny amp from him for like $90 because I wanted to goddamn rock. And I got all these guitar player magazines with like Kirk Hammond on the cover. And mm-hmm. like I was going to throw some shit down. Never learned a chord. Never learned a single thing. Eventually sold it to someone else. And my grandma wouldn't let me plug in the amp. And I was like, what? And she's like, you're not plugging that shit in, in my house. So I couldn't even like hear myself play, sold the whole kit and caboodle. But I really, that video sparked something in me. It was so dark and desperate and so sick because they, this is a video where they, they use footage from the film Johnny Got His Gun. And it's all about this guy who's injured in war, who cannot talk, who cannot see. All he can do is hear. And he has like no limbs and he's just on his this bed in the hospital basically trying to do trying to use his neck and head to do um 
Morse code. And all he's just saying is kill me. So that's like spliced in between this song. (laughs) Timothy Bottoms, star of the paper chase, is this person, by the way, in the movie. Is it really? Yeah. (gasps) It terrifies the fuck out of me. Still? Oh, yes. Like to this day. And particularly because I think I saw the video before I saw the movie. Oh, de- definitely, definitely. Th- and that I think had the the difference because the thing about that video was that that was literally my first introduction to Metallica because they played it on MTV like all the time. And we talked about this sort of briefly on the main feed episode about sort of the, I think we were talking in reference to Decline 2, where we were like, it's interesting that Dave Mustaine comes at the end of the thing because he's sort of like not, he's not poison. He's, you know, he's not wearing makeup. He's not doing the flashy scarves right. on the microphone routine. He is just like straight up like angry singing in a microphone while smoking cigarettes, which I thought was always, do you remember that? Like in the, in the documentary where he's smoking a cigarette and then he's singing and I'm like, Jesus. Um, and it's just like a real tight shot of his face, like smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so badass. Uh, (laughs) He's like right on the, he's right on, he hits his mark. He's right on the money, but he is smoking that cigarette to the bitter end till he has to sing. Yeah, like smoke exactly. is pouring out of his mouth as he's singing. <laughs> yeah. Like you would not see Dave Mustaine in a hot tub with like four women be like, I love being fucking loaded and rich. And, you know, like he he's got no. another vibe to him. And it felt like that was super scarier to me. Like for some reason, the whole scene was really overwhelming to me as a child. Right. But for some reason, the antics kind of made it a little more cartoonish and maybe sort of I equated that with sort of like less aggressive yeah but then when he got down to it like Dave Mustaine Metallica and especially when you get into like Anthrax and like Pantera and all that stuff I was like wow these are like true metalheads and they're like angry guys like I just thought oh they're angry and so when I saw the one video I was like oh yeah these guys are terrifying but then they had that part of Johnny got his gun in the video and then it made it even more scary. Like yeah, it was that terrified me that part. The movie part of it scared me. I loved the rest of it cuz the whole video is in black and white and so and you also got, you know, like James, Jason, Kirk and Lars are all wearing black. James has his like black fucking wristbands on and like a tough black cuffs. tank top, tough cuffs. <laughs> and he's got like uh, like everyone's hair is long and in their face. So even when he's singing, you can't see his face. I loved it. And I, I was actually shocked when I saw what the band looked like for the first time. Because you could not see their face in this video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I don't know who these guys are. This is great. And <laughs> it was Fucking headbanging in unison was I posted this on my own, my my personal Instagram a couple of years ago. But like headbanging in unison in the one video in black and white was a pivotal moment in my dirtbag history, like a pivotal fucking moment. I I can totally see that. Um, It's that part where it's like the middle part that's like, but it didn't. But it in darkness imprisoning me. Like that part, I was like, yes. I was truly shook. 
Because I was like, oh, my God, it's not a, like it's just this like compounding fear. It's like you have right. scary, legit metalhead guys where you can't see their faces. They're singing this song. There's this like Timothy Bottoms, you know, <laughs> um, wounded soldier who can't speak. And then you have like the section where they start going. I mean, it was like yes. primal fear for me. It felt to me like like classical music. Like, I love classical music also. I basically love music that makes me feel diabolical or relaxed. Like, those are the two things I'm going for when I listen to music. And it felt to me like like some classical shit to me. <laughs> like, it yeah. was just so poetic and like the build and the crescendo and... <gasps> Oh, I love a yeah. scary heavy metal. And I think that it's, it's I, I get the fear factor of it because it is scary for sure to see that as a kid and like see men shouting <laughs> into microphones about a guy who wants to die in a hospital. Scary as shit. Yes. Um, but then you also have this like, like that was one of their slower songs. It was scarier, but like there's a there's a really great guitar riff in the middle of it. But it's most of their songs are like master of puppets, like for whom the bell tolls. Like they're pretty they've got like a, a pretty they go to a pretty fast clip. Yeah. So this wasn't even like the heaviest of the Metallica heavy metal, as I would discover later. <laughs> but even like their Enter Sandman era, which was even bigger. Like they became even Huge. bigger of a band when that album came out and that song came out. And our Sandman was scary. I mean, I love that song because it's a little bit, for some reason it seems less scary than one. <laughs> um, but even that video with like the strobe effect and like the guy, do you, God, do you remember that part of the video where the kid is sleeping in bed and then the 18 wheeler, drives over the bed and destroys it and he's got to run from it i'm like why are they doing this and i'm like 13 years old watching this and processing all this information being like what the hell i mean i'm gonna have nightmares all night long because of this i mean look that album came out in 1991 i just started high school i was ready for wherever i may roam and sad but true, I listen to that. They're on playlists that I have to this day. Yeah. To this fucking day. I love that shit. I love it. And this is like, this is kind of their, their hilt, right? So they had, they have all this scary imagery and all this like, but they were kind of like, they had the money to do it. They had the money to go big and they did. And I think a lot of heavy metal bands at that point became very theatrical in their videos and in their songs. And they, they did get scarier. Absolutely. I have to say, I, you know, I mean, I know pretty much all of the singles that were on the radio and were on MTV. I don't really know a ton about their back catalog, but the, the, the Metalla song that I actually love the most is that it's like an Irish song. Is it called Whiskey in the Whiskey Jar? In the jar. <laughs> I'm like, I, now that I can fuck with because I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a a, a pub song or something like that. Right. And like, I think the video is a little less scary and it feels lighter for them. So yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, I can fuck with Whiskey in the Jar, but everything else is terrifying. And Whiskey in the Jar is a legit Irish pub song. Like it's usually sung by like old men with fiddles and pan flutes and shit like okay. that. <laughs> good, 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 good. So if they made that scary, that would take a lot of work. Yeah. 
I know, but I'm always like, I'm, it's telling that that's my probably one of my favorite Metallica songs. This is the one that's not as scary as everything else. It is an Irish jig or whatever. I um, am going to make you a Metallica playlist. It's going to have songs from Kill 'Em All, uh, Ride the Lightning. All I really want, I don't want to be that person because I can't stand when people just like, wear the band shirt of the thing that they don't know about, like all these Nirvana shirts I'm seeing and like all this. I don't really like that. But I will say I'm kind of a dream of mine and I haven't pulled the trigger yet is to find an original Metallica Ride the Lightning t-shirt and I would wear it until it fell off of my body. Of course, of course. I'm going to make you a playlist. It's such a great, they have so many great songs and they have great songs for like, for me, they have great songs for writing because they're so instrumental. I just, I don't know. I dig them. I fucking love it. Master of Puppets and Justice for All, Ride the Lightning. You're getting a playlist. It's going to freak you out. You're going to listen to it only on Halloween, but I'm going to make it for you. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. But that brings something up, though, because I feel like the other thing we were talking about in the, the main feed episode was this difference between like the kind of hair glam metal and this scary metal. And we both got into metal because of the hair glam stuff. Yeah. So I want to know about that. Like, what did that look like for you in your home? Did your parents like, were you listening to it on headphones? Did your parents let you listen to it? <laughs> like, did you have MTV? Yeah, it was primarily on cassette. Um, it was <laughs> so sixth and seventh grade were my headbanger years. There was a crew of girls that I knew in um, middle school, Monica and Kim. I salute you wherever you are. I, I literally, I went to sixth and seventh grade with them and then I don't know anything that happened to them. Okay, this um, is creepy because I also had two girls in my school who introduced me to heavy metal, Lori and Jackie, and they yeah. also just like disappeared before high school. Who are they? Who are these angels? Who these metal you? angels. <laughs> Monica and Kim, Lori and Jackie. These are the names, the absolute names of of girls who were these metalheads, right? Let's get serious. Um, so Monica and Kim were like very much into that scene. And at the time, there was a lot of that stuff on the radio, obviously, like Poison, Warrant, Skid Row, um, you know, I mean, name it. It's just, it was like all over the place. And it was almost kind of like the whole monster ballads era. Yes. So it was a lot of like every rose has its thorn. Tesla's love song, which I still uh, love to this day. Still love it. I still love it. Yeah. So it was heavy metal ballads. That's what hooked me. OK. And then it was sort of like retroactively. I'm like, oh, well. If I like Tesla, I'm going to like maybe something else that they did and they have a party song or something and I'm I'm into it. But yeah, it was definitely the lo- the heavy metal love songs, which is so hilarious, but also exactly like yeah. that's how they had all these female fans at the end of the day is because they were making these like ballads, right? Absolutely. Sebastian Bach singing like 18 in Life or I Remember You. He had such a beautiful voice and like that. Lo- he didn't, he tried to look scary, but he never looked scary because he was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what dragged us in. Like that's what dragged the women in when you're like, ooh, he's got a great theatrical voice and he's cute. It's so funny because, okay, so this is going to, Uh, This is going to sound really problematic, perhaps. I'm not really sure. But for me, I was, like I said in the episode, I was really fascinated with like very overt, maybe it's a confidence, but it's also like a sexuality. So I was 
you know, sort of fascinated by adult lives. I was really interested in sort of what being an adult would be like. I wanted to hang out with people who were older than me. I mean, we've talked about this mm-hmm. so many times on the podcast where I was always like crushing after older guys and that kind of thing. But it was that thing where I just think I was fascinated by people that seemed to sort of like be sexy and could have like control of their bodies. And they were very commanding. Cause I mean, it's like I was in seventh grade, you're like the biggest geek of all time. And you certainly don't know shit about fuck. And you're like watching people sort of be very overtly sexual and very overtly confident maybe. And that just really was like, I just could not turn my eyes away from that. Well, yeah. And look, and look at the flip side of like what was happening during that era. The other side of music was Belinda Carlisle and Tiffany and like very and Belinda Carlisle definitely has a history with the Go-Go's of being wild. But sure. her career in the 80s was all about this like new image Belinda Carlisle and then Tiffany. And then you have Debbie Gibson and it's like very poppy, bubblegummy, like non-sexual kind of stuff happening. Yeah, there was like new kids on the block and that kind of stuff, which was, you know, MC hammer stuff that I was like, all the people in my school were really listening to, but Kim and Monica were definitely into that, that (laughs) scene, the hair metal scene. And we all like, we were obsessed with this band slaughter. Yes. Fly to the angels. The name of the album was called stick it to you. We all went to the mall and bought it on cassette at the same time. Mark slaughter. Yeah. They did a video in an airplane hangar. That's right. <laughs> Fly to the Angels. That was the ballad that hooked me. And then, of course, there was like, you know, up all night, sleep yep. all day. And all the, all the party anthems came later. But again, it hooked me with the, the power ballad. But really, before this era, there was really one person, I would say maybe two, but one person that kind of changed the game for me in this regard. And it was David Lee Roth. When you grew up watching MTV, Van Halen was in the eighties was all over MTV. And I was obsessed with David Lee Roth. Like I didn't know what to think of him. He seemed like a cartoon character. Like I was telling, he seemed like a Looney Tunes character. Um, But he was a real showman. And in those, like in the videos for like Panama and, jump and all that stuff hot for teacher legendary yep life-changing it was all these like little the videos were always like performy and they were they would do all these little skits and um it kind of cracked me up and then i also seeing david lee roth who was that was like here's a guy who's like you know he's hanging out with the guys and he's talking about women and there are women in this video technically but he's not really he doesn't come across as somebody who's like like he's not even brett michaels he's doing his own thing he wasn't lecherous in the videos it was kind of like it was that cartoonish energy yes and he was he was sort of dressing really provocatively he was wearing chaps with like underwear look he and vince neil both had some zebra print underwear under some chaps and that was just it that was it that was the outfit he's also like funny and he is performing and he kind of has this like it's almost kind of like a um a classic movie this to him where he's kind of like dancing around pulling antics and doing flips and like you know he's kind of like a 
you know, I don't I actually I don't want to call him Fred Astaire because that is crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, in that way where you just kind of like fall in love with the guy who's running around the screen and right. doing all the tricks and being really goofy. I would say he was the heavy metal Fred Astaire. You know? OK, good. No Back one else was doing on it. <laughs> no one else was doing it and pulling it off. I have actually I wrote about David Lee Roth in my book. There's a part of my book where I write about um, getting ready for school one morning with my grandma and listening to the radio. And my brother and I used to love the song. I ain't got nobody. Oh, me too. And so the that best. part where he's like, we would always do that part and just like fall out laughing. And my grandma thought we were nuts. She's like, what is wrong with you kids? Like, this used to be a good song. Who is this man singing it? I didn't know it was an old song. I had no mm-hmm. idea. Like, it's David Lee Roth. He's the best. We see him on MTV. When we go to Aaron's house, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's what I mean. He was like, he he covered that Louis Prima song. And it was all, it was kind of like a fun big bandish type of song and it's got he's got the like guys going nobody 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 and it's that thing where you're like oh this isn't like tommy lee right in the girls 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 video where he's like looking at strippers i mean this is like david lee roth is like i don't know like foghorn leghorn or something yes, <laughs> like he's not yes. you know he's not this aggros you know like macho dude he had a strut for sure but he also had a very cartoonish relationship with women. Like the, even in my memory, and I could be completely wrong, but in my memory, those videos, both David Lee Roth and Van Halen videos, like a woman would be dancing in a bikini and he would always just like put his face in and be like, whoa, and then pop out. Yes. Like he was never like lecherous about it. <laughs> yeah. So he made it funny in a way, like he pointed out the absurdity of what was happening. Exactly. Like he said, his mission wasn't to like, you know, grab a bunch of asses or something. You know what I mean? Right. At least, like I said, this is based on the information that I've seen on MTV. Like maybe there's some footage of him out there somewhere. I don't know. But this was based on the information that I got when I was in elementary and middle school. Um, and the sa- at the same time, too, I was also obsessed with ZZ Top videos <laughs> for the same exact reason. <laughs> like, wait, you have to explain that. <laughs> So in the, it, I swear in the eighties, you know, ZZ Top had this big comeback-ish kind of career yes. um, and they were doing, you know, the videos for legs. And uh, to me, it was the same vibe of like, it felt like a cartoon. So in the legs video where, you know, the girl goes from like geek to chic, right? right. And then it's like the only, the thing that happens is she gets picked up. By a car full of like sexy ladies and then gets a makeover and the whole the whole story is about like how her boss sucks. And then you watch it now and you're like, oh, this is like a John Waters movie because there's all the characters in the video are like they look like John Waters characters. You've got like, you know, the old lady in the house coat with like the curlers and the cigarette and like, you know, you got, um, you know, the guy working at the shoe store that looks like um, he kind of reminds me of the guy from Sparks with the mustache. Like he just they have those like really over the top, you know, sort of John Waters. He kind of looks and and again, that was another thing, too, where you didn't watch the guys from ZZ Top like grab an ass they were like this sort of um they would kind of pop it and out they were almost like you know um 
spirits or something. They would come in and pop in and out and be like doing their like magic, you know? And I was like, this is funny, <laughs> funny and weird. And, and they had cartoonish. those long beards, like which made them instantly cartoonish. And they were spinning their guitars around yes, on their belts. Spinning the guitars. Like they were just definitely the cartoon ghosts of <laughs> rock and roll for a while. And, and you know, maybe there's something to that because at the time, you know, at least with Van, Van Halen had been around for a while. ZZ Top had definitely been around for a while. And like maybe that's because they were older and they were just not doing the thing that, you know, obviously like Wart was doing um, where they were like young and hypersexual and they were trying right. to have a laugh almost. That's what it kind of seemed to me. Well, and you you also have to take into, into effect that, which is something I always have to remember, too, when I think about that era is that. So many of these bands preceded MTV and videos. So they existed on a different plane entirely and had to adjust to being seen. And their adjustment to being seen was to go over the top and be totally bonkers. Because again, like Metallica, Aerosmith, like all these bands were like concert bands and club bands. And they were not like, you know, arena rock bands for mo- for the most part until video came around and exposed them to a wider audience. So these are all people who were like, you know, they all had to adjust to that. And so their imagery is very over the top because I think that that's what that era called for. Like video was new and MTV was new. Exactly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. By the time I was in sixth and seventh grade um, and I was really like hanging out with friends and all this stuff, we were definitely like listening to the radio. I had the big bangs. There was this this girl named Marcy. She was a Filipina like I was. And I was like, again, another girl that I have no idea what happened to her after middle school. I'm like, where are you, Marcy? You're a legend. She was the one that taught me how to tease my bangs. Amazing. You know, it was that sort of thing where you take the curling iron, we spray a bunch of hairspray, take the curling iron, you know, spray the hair while it's on the curling iron. You want to hear the the sizzle? Yep. Um, And then, you know, let it go, tease it out, do it again. And then just creating this like fucking like mountain range of bangs. And that was the look. That was the fucking look. was some shit. Let me tell you, the ways that I have fucked up my hair before I went natural was immense, but none more so than my sixth, seventh, eighth grade years. And I think I will post, I do think I have a picture of my eight from my eighth grade yearbook where I had the hair, but my grandma made me wear like a nice sweater. Um, But I had to put Aquanet on this hair was a disaster. And I had the bangs that went up and back, like yeah. the curling iron up and back. But then they also had the little spider in the front. Spider. <laughs> so we were doing both ways. Yeah. We were just getting that hair out there. Tease it to the, to the sky. Tease it, tease to, it Jesus. to the sky. And I had to learn how to tease it. And I put putting hairspray on 
my black ass straightened hair. And it was straightened with like a hot comb. Yeah. So it wasn't even like chemical straightener yet. It would just turn like white and it would get so hard. It was impossible to get out of my hair. It was misery. And these are among the many things that my grandmother will like never forgive me for because she hated the music, but she hated the look even more. Yeah. Because it was like more work for her to try to like get that shit out of my hair and get me back to normal. The look was definitely like really hard hair, like literally texture wise hard. Um, And then makeup, very sort of 80s, like wet wild hot pinks and then the clothes it's so interesting because the thing i think i liked the most about this period for me was that i was like oh this is low maintenance i love it i don't have to fucking you know the who i always say is the sort of quintessential look for me when i was in this era 88 89 whatever into like you know hair bands was Ione Sky from River's Edge. Her look is the the absolute perfect model of what I wanted to look like. I was like, oh, so yes. she's got the kind of like long hair with the bangs, but also she kind of wears ripped jeans. Like she's got like flannels and baggy sweaters. And um, so she wasn't like, you know, obviously wearing we, you know, like the women in the decline documentary are obviously older and they go out to clubs. And so that's why they looked really skimpy. But like if you were like right. a teenager, it was like you were trying to dress like the guys, like everybody just wanted yeah. to dress like in ripped up jeans and, you know, leather jackets Absolutely. and stuff. And I didn't get into the makeup side of it. And I think that's kind of where my own kind of life of low maintenance began. Because I didn't wear the, ma- I'd had the hair, but I never wore makeup. Yeah. And I just liked the fact that I could wear shit that was fucked up looking. Like you said, it was like thrashed. I could wear my Converse sneakers into the ground to like my toes were popping out of the sides and like just wear shit to death. Yeah. <laughs> like that was the look. And I fucking loved it. <laughs> I, I have a picture of me in this combination. I loved wearing a flannel. A red flannel, unbuttoned, over an MC Escher t-shirt. That was oh my, my fucking seventh grade look with the bangs, you know, some kind of like Doc Martin-ish, you know, boot, and then ripped hem jeans. Like, I just wanted to look like a guy, basically. I wanted to wear like what metalhead guys yes. were wearing and not like, I wasn't wearing like bustier bras and nope. shit like You know, it wasn't Fredericks of Hollywood or anything. But that's also that's an important something that I think that I wanted to talk about, too, is that the importance of denoting that. That kind of gravitating more towards the angry guy side of things instead of like the skimpy girl towards of things in our in our own life, because I think that it, it behooves people to remember in this point of life in the 80s, it was just far removed enough from punk that I didn't know about women playing music and being angry that wouldn't come to me until like the grunge 90s stuff and then I could go back and listen to punk but I wasn't like and I'm not gonna front I'm not like I've been listening to punk forever no like I listened to what was on the radio and then I listened to what was on MTV and then I found my own identity um so I didn't know about women playing music and being angry about it you know I knew about like the supremes (laughs) like the pop stuff so it was really 
important, I think, to the to my formation to see ways to be angry because that was not a road that was open to us as young women. And heavy metal gave that to me where there were other women who were angry. There were other women in the crowd dressed like me and not like the skimpy side. And like we were all shapes and sizes, even though I was usually the only black one. But that's fine. (laughs) But we were all shapes and sizes. And it wasn't about being kind. You know, it wasn't about being nice. It was about like fucking throwing yourself around a room and being mad. And that was an important moment for me to discover that I could like express that anger, but that it was also okay for me to have that anger. Yeah. Like, I think the like metal chicks were tough. Like, I think that they had a toughness about them, even if they were wearing like skimpy underwear. Like, I remember watching the Kiss Me Deadly video by Lita Ford and thinking like, wow, she's so hot. But she's also tough. Like, she doesn't seem like she takes any shit. And, you know, her song is like, you know. Didn't get laid, got in a fight. Went to a party <laughs> last Saturday night. Didn't get <laughs> got in a fight. Uh-huh. It ain't no big thing. Like I'm like, that is not. That is something that yeah imprinted I think on me at like at that time as being like oh this isn't a scene necessarily. I mean like let's not get too crazy because we know that there were obviously women who were very content with sort of like sort of letting the men sort of navigate the scene and not having much to say about it. Right. But like, for the most part, the women that I saw that were in like performing the music, they were tough, like Vixen and fucking Mm -hmm. Lena Ford and like, you know, that kind of stuff. And then of course, yeah, later you get to like all those alternative bands and especially bands to me, like Babes in Toyland and L7 and all that stuff, which was mind blowing for me. Same. But, um, yeah. But that's the thing I think, too, is that I think when I was growing up, I, I played that sports. I played sports when I was in middle school and in high school. Um, I was always bigger than all the other girls. And mm-hmm. f- because of that, I felt older. And I just was never I, I just wanted to get in there like I was not. I just I when it came down to it, I was sort of like I didn't have like a cute look to me when I was a kid. I just wasn't cute. Like I didn't wear dr- dresses. Um, you know, I tried to dress like the guys, like even in high school when I was, you know, kind of doing that whole like I'm a fake skater. We talked about that in the Gleam in the Cube episode where I was like, I just wanted yeah. to be a skater guy's girlfriend. I didn't want to be a skater, but I dressed like in guys clothes then, too. And for me, I think that was like very common between me and my friends was that we weren't doing the whole like, you know, makeup and gap sweater and, you know, the cute preppy looks. We were like exactly trying to look rough. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because how, that's how we felt. I felt rough and I was super tall and I was you know tall and gangly and like, again, like black in a town that was predominantly white. Like there was nothing about my existence that made me feel like I fit in. And I think you can either go one of two ways when that happens, when you have that discovery, you either run super hard towards trying to fit in and you do the gap sweater and you do the makeup and you do everything you can to try to fit in. Or you say, fuck this shit and you do whatever the fuck else you want like you just go the either way like that road diverges and you split away from the norm one way or the other by becoming hyper normal or not at all normal (laughs) yeah to me it didn't feel like it didn't feel like the normal track applied to me because i thought same 
I'm not thin enough. I'm not white enough. I'm not feminine enough. I just did not feel like that. I couldn't even go there and fake it. Like I couldn't even fake it. And it's funny because in middle school, which was the big, the big metal years for me, um, it really was like one moment I was hanging out with people who were into sports, which, you know, it was a lot of like people who, you know, um, were sort of into like, preppy things and i played tennis you know that kind of stuff too hung out with like a lot of like people who were listening to country music if you know what i mean um yes but then yeah it wasn't if it wasn't for monica and kim and sort of like you can just tell these are girls from your school that probably were kind of alternative although alternative didn't exist and he didn't know what it was yet but yeah they were definitely more kind of like fun to hang out with a little more like you know kind of wearing ripped up jeans and flannels and not like yeah it wasn't a beauty pageant with them and i felt like comfortable with them and going in that direction versus being like you know what i should just like wear a bunch of fucking dresses from uh contempo casuals or whatever not like, contempo casuals ah. <laughs> <laughs> i completely agree and i think there's there's another layer of that for me as well, which is that like I had a lot of body trauma because I grew up in a, an abusive home. Yeah. I didn't want people looking at me or touching me. So I was never going to run towards that kind of ultra feminine skimpy stuff because I was dealing with something else entirely. And so it was great to me. And I think that's why I kind of progressed with that angrier metal, because I felt like anything that would make me invisible or that would get people to not pay attention to me at all was great. Like, I don't want you to pay attention to my body, but I also don't want you to pay attention to my face or my height or anything about me (laughs) because I don't fit in. So just ignore me. And it was kind of and then I could take that anger and put it somewhere. So I think that that is you're right. Like, there's a place for that for a lot of young women who were in this scene um, who just didn't want to be touched or sexualized. And it's a very strange, very, very strange roundabout way to get there through this like ultra misogynistic music for the most part. But that's also why I think I liked the heavier heavy metal because it wasn't about women and girls and like, you know, showing ass or anything. It was like, this guy wants to die in a fucking hospital and he has no limbs and he can't talk. And like that to me was like, cool, you're not even talking about bodies. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. there is something to that where it's like, I, it makes total sense to me that a lot of, a lot of young women found a home in heavy metal because it wasn't about us being seen or sexualized at that level. Yeah. I And two, I just don't think I, I just was not confident in myself where I thought, Oh, I could be a girlfriend of a guy that's in like, I just thought, oh, I just have to be in the into what the boys are into. I wanted to be as badass as a guy who was in a rock band. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to sit and wait for him backstage and hope that he'll see me and want to date me. I was like, oh, I want to be him. I don't want to like be in love with him, if you know what I mean. That's huge. That is a huge mental shift in an important way. I completely get it. And I feel the same way where I was like, I don't want to be fawning. I kind of, you know, before before I learned about, you know, the misogyny that women can also have uh, towards each other. I didn't I kind of kind of look down on the the kind of groupie style women for a long time because I'm like, oh, God, why would you want to do that when you could just like grab a guitar and be awesome? And it's just a totally different ethos. And that's fine. Like I eventually, of course, 
realize that. But I'm with you. Like, I wanted to kick ass and I wanted to be invincible. And that's what those people felt like to me. Yeah. I, I mean, in a, in a weird way, I kind of wanted to be David Lee Roth. I wanted to be I wanted to have the body confidence of David Lee Roth. I wanted to have people, you know, sort of be entertained and sort of be funny and, you know, a character that was like everything to me. And of course, when you're like such a young person, you just don't have any of that. You don't have right any confidence and you don't really know what's going on in your body. You don't you know, kind of know anything. And so, yeah, it's, you kind of look to these bigger than life characters. Um, Well, and the other thing too, is that I was going to ask you, like, I want to know, like, who was the biggest, like, who was the metalhead at your school or like in your (laughs) neighborhood or whatever? Because I'm also very curious about the people that you just knew who were the archetype of that thing you wanted. Yes. Yes. There was. okay. so there was this guy who was a couple of grades older than me, but I think he failed one. So I would see him on the bus occasionally when he did decide to come to school. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to use his last name, but I'll say the name. We can maybe bleep it out. Uh, But his name was Joe. And he had straight feathered fucking hair like down to his waist. Like he just had long, 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 long hair, like one of those skimpy, disgusting mustaches that you get when you're a teenager. Um, he always wore, a, it was like a, a denim vest, but with had like black leather sleeves. That was like his winter coat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he always wore a black t-shirt, either plain black or a band t-shirt. He constantly smoked, like he smoked against the school as we were walking in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he smoked out of the bus window, constantly smoking and just like like big black boots, like heavy black boots, jeans too big by a little bit and just kind of like slouching into the boots. I remember him so vividly. Yeah, <laughs> He was like the heavy metal guy for me. And the heavy metal girl, strangely, her mom was the detention lady. Teresa, her mom was the detention lady and she always had this like big teased out fucking hair and she was a sweetheart, but she always just like wore black and jeans and boots and like the big hair. And then her mom was like the detention lady. And I'm like, what? so fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Of course. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. There were a lot like there were a lot of those are the two that stand out in my mind. But I think that there were a lot of variations of that going on in my school for sure. So there was this guy in my high school who was pretty much the metalhead, like in high school. And he was a loner. Like he he was kind of that guy where he was kind of like he had certain friends that would kind of like I see him talking to people in the hallways like and they were kind of like punk guys. But like this guy was a straight up metalhead and he was by himself almost all the time. And. Everybody was kind of freaked out by him. He kind of looked like Gigi Allen, like in this really weird way. I mean, he wasn't as like broken toothed as Gigi Allen, but he had that look like shaved head and like sinister facial hair. And he just was like scary, kind of a scary dude. Um, and, And there was all these like rumors about him that he was like, you know, a big like I mean, he did like whippets and sniffed glue. Oh and he was just God. kind of unhinged, you know, because it's like that thing. Right. Where it's like, oh, here's somebody who's, you know, let's create this entire narrative yep. about him, even though we've never fucking talked to him ever. Right. Exactly. And 
I knew him kind of through my friend Jesse, sort of, but I never really talked to him. Like he would be around once in a while, but I just, I mean, we never really like were, we never really hung out. So many years after I graduated from high school, when I was actually, I think I was, might've still been in college, but maybe I was, or I just had graduated from college. I went and saw Danzig. <gasps> I had never seen Danzig before. I was a huge Misfits fan. I still am to this day. <laughs> and I loved the first Danzig album a lot. Um, and, you know, just, you know, Danzig, just generally, you know, his vibe. Yeah. Right. And that's an interesting vibe to me, even though. Wow. Just like I'm like, he's a lot now like with his movie and his comic books and shit. That picture of him carrying cat litter is never going to fail to like make me laugh. King of the Internet meme right there. Um, <laughs> so my friend Farzad got us tickets to see Danzig. And the biggest the reason we went was because we heard that Doyle from the Misfits was playing bass with dancing and it was sort of like you know the whole thing about the misfits is that you know they burned out bright you know early like dancing left the band and then the rest of the band kind of continued on without him but a lot of people who like the misfits are like no that's not the real misfits like you know the jerry only misfits are that and uh dancing is is the real misfits but you know they hated each other And so we were like, the idea that they would ever get back together was like unheard of. Right. And we were like, but two people from the Misfits is better than zero. So we got to go see Danzig because we kept hearing that they're playing like four or five Misfits songs. Right. So we walk into the the. It's not, it's not, it wasn't at an arena. It was like a, kind of this like mid-level club, but it wasn't small. It was kind of like an amphitheater, maybe. I don't know what to call it. Uh, we walk in, we hand the guy our tickets, you know, they're patting us down, right? Heavy metal concert. And right by the front of the entrance is this guy from my high school, the <gasps> metal head from my high school, who I hadn't seen at that point in probably like six or seven years. He looked exactly the same he had the same Gigi allen look pretty much the same clothes black you know heavy metal t-shirt with like a vest another like a vest scenario and we locked eyes like he was the first person i saw when i walked into the show and i was like this guy is gonna be like who is this fucking poser from my high school that's at this heavy metal like like who is it why is this woman at the show and I walked in and I wasn't actually going to say anything to him because I just thought I he doesn't I don't know him well enough and I don't really know if he even knows who I am. But he like I walked in and he looked at me and he started nodding his head like this and goes to Chirico. Oh, my God. Good to see you at a Danzig concert. Millie, this was the meat cute of all ages that you just let slide on by. That is incredible. <laughs> what I tell you, I have never felt more validation in my entire life <laughs> than in that moment. I, I would, I literally to this day, I'm on a cloud when I think about it. Cause I'm like, I got props from the fucking OG metal head from my yes. high school. And he gave me that nod. That's like, yeah, that is, I'm like, I have chills. I have chills. <laughs> Wasn't even my life or my experience. I have chills because I know what that feels like. That validation from like the cool guy. 
holy shits. Like, not even oh, the cool man. guy, like the pure metalhead. Yeah. The pure metalhead that was a metalhead in spite of literally everybody. Yes. And, you know, he had rumors. There were rumors about him. Like, he, they, they were like, he probably sacrifices dogs and shit. I hope he runs a tech company right now and he hears this episode and it's just like, yeah, she's cool. Let's go. He sends you a helicopter. You go see a fucking private dancing show. I need this to happen. I'm sorry. But even if it ends with the validation of seeing it, I, that is enough for a lifetime. I would coast on that feeling for the rest of my fucking life. Well, and let me just tell you, Farzad and I were the assholes at the show. We were the only people at the show that weren't. We did not look like demons and we stood out like fucking sore thumbs. Like everybody in the show was literally, they literally looked like dancing and we were like two idiots wearing like, you know, I, I don't even know. I think I was wearing like a pink t-shirt. I was like, what the fuck was I even thinking? Um, but we stuck out. And the fact that I felt, cause I was definitely going to feel, I was like, I'm feeling uncomfortable rolling up to this dancing concert. Cause like we are posers, but the fact that the guy noticed me and like told me that it was okay to be there. I was like, okay, I feel good now. I'm allowed to be here. Beautiful. <laughs> that is a beautiful fucking moment. Holy I shit. I saw someone, I didn't have that exact experience, of course, but um, I used to sneak into this club that played that a lot of bands played at. And sometimes bigger bands would come and play like on their way to New York city to play arenas and shit and like big big shows um and the club was called the chance and it was in poughkeepsie and someone eventually got stabbed there there was lots oh, of like bad <laughs> shit going on <laughs> but that was a club i snuck into to see music and because i was tall when i was a teenager because i was tall and because i didn't drink people let me in yeah i was just like i'm just here to see the band you don't have to give me a wristband i'm not going to try to drink like i literally just went i'll stand here next to you all night i just want to see the band oh <laughs> so sweet i remember people like that like they were like underage but they were like i just want to see the music and yeah of course you would let them in come on I'm like so trust cute. me like i i drove here myself I'm not, I'm not a drunk driver like it is it was like that and i would go sometimes with my friend heather who always got ripped <laughs> <laughs> but we would just go and see music and it was always cool when i saw people who were like not from my school but like my own age there yeah kind of feeling like oh there is a world outside of myself a little bit so i would have killed for that kind of validation from like a joe in my school <laughs> but they didn't even know i went they didn't even know i was doing it i know i know and, that, and that's to me like i have so many i mean we honestly have to do concerts were such a big part of my life especially when i got to college because i worked in college radio and i was yeah. going i was literally going to like three or four concerts sometimes in the same night and there are so there's such a um they're like its own ecosystem. Yeah. And like they're so like, you know, the cool people and the dorky people. I mean, it's like going into a cafeteria at a high school. It's the same energy. The people and, who would dance, the people who wouldn't dance. Yeah. And also like seeing people's boyfriends talking to other girls and seeing, you know, all along the spectrum. And you're just sort of like, oh my God, drama, high drama. Um but it was that thing that sometimes I did feel like I wasn't allowed, especially when you would go to something that was definitely a specific scene like heavy metal. Like you're like, oh, I'm not allowed to be here. Like I'm definitely not as right. metal as any of these people. But then just to have somebody that you know there, just literally somebody you know there is such a comfort, you know, let alone the cool metal guy from your high school. So. 
Well, we we will definitely do. We should do a definite separate concert bonus episode for sure. Um, because as I'm sitting here now at 43 with a mouthful of braces and a heating pad on my shoulder. I would love to revisit a time when I could go and throw myself around to music and not feel broken immediately after. (laughs) I'm telling you, I like for me, it was rough because even in my 30s, when I was still living in Atlanta, you could still smoke in the bars. And I was like, damn, like when I would come out of those concerts, I'd be like, okay, I'm too old for this shit. And I stink and I have to take a shower before I get into this bed and I'm sweaty and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm too old for this. I'm too old. (laughs) But as a kid, there was nothing better. There's nothing nothing better. better. And of course, now, now that we've gone through pandemic and, you know, everything like that, I'm like, I would go to a concert. Like as much as I fucking hate concerts now, I'd be like, I'd go to a concert simply because we've been on lockdown. But I feel like lockdown has done the exact opposite to me where I'm like, if I get a drop of someone else's sweat on me, I'm going to the hospital. <laughs> like, I will go to the kind of concert where it's like the Hollywood Bowl where you have a little little seating area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. That could change. That could change when things open up for real, because right now I feel like, oh, I'm still I'm still too scared because I still too, see too much bullshit going on. But I do miss that. I think I would like to try it again in the future at least once because yeah. I miss that feeling of like the energy of being in a pit and like <laughs> dancing in a club or something. Yeah, it has to be very. Um, yeah, the conditions have to be perfect for me at this point. Like it has to be a band that I really can rely on to be like a good band to see live. And it yes. has to be like I don't go and shit blind. Fuck that. No Never doing that ever way. again. But. If it's a band I know that are are awesome, if it's a club that I know, if I know a lot of people that are going, I might entertain it. But yeah, I mean. Same. Same. The last show I went to, um, and again, we'll talk about that. Actually, I'll save it. I'll save it for our concert episode. Oh, good. Okay. But this was fun. I loved that we both had heavy metal roots and that, again, further proof that we would have been friends as kids. This is awesome. I truly think that. It would have been so awesome if you were in my high school and hanging out with like me and my, like my two friends that I had. (laughs) I would have loved a third friend. Um, But yeah, no, it's funny because I, I like, like I said, I think at the top of the episode, like we are of a certain age, this was a huge part of our growing up. But I also think it's also like, I don't think a lot of younger people really know this era. Exactly. Um, And I just think it might be, I, I feel like it is ripe for discovery, but I feel like people will be fucking horrified and I'm I'm also scared. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm telling you, it's going to be like, they're going to roll the rock out from in front of that cave. <laughs> fucking David Lee Roth is going to come flying out and they're going to push him in and roll it back over and be like, we can't. It's going to be like that lick, the lick it up video from <laughs> Kiss where they're dressed like actual cavemen. <laughs> or like, at least they look like they've been, in a post-apocalyptic like Mad Max world or something. And they're just like disgusting. Like (laughs) that's what it's going to be. That's the other thing where I feel like it can never make as big as a comeback as the original, because it was a disgusting experience. Yeah. Like physically disgusting experience to be part of these groups and on the road and like the lifestyle. And it was 
horrifyingly disgusting. And I don't think people can handle it anymore, especially post-pandemic. Yeah. If anything, it would have to be, they would have to, like, for me, I felt like there was a moment maybe where there was that sort of vibe when it was like, I think it was like the late 2000s with like that band, The Darkness. Was that the band? And like that kind of Scissor Sisters-ish, like that kind of thing but that felt a lot more queer than what was going on like and i actually like like that like i like that it would be kind of re-examined by gay people like i would love for that to happen kind of like the way country has been going and i and i i i kind of think if there is a resurgence again it might go in that direction i don't know but i agree um, i would love it because it'd be because it does have that theatricality to it and that kind of look and vibe and that i i completely agree i think that's the only way it could be acceptable to me (laughs) is if it goes that way it would take the sting out of the the straightness of that scene too and it would be like amazing and i think they kind of started a little bit to do that I, one of the songs that I wash my hands to 20 for 20 seconds to when I'm singing in my head is um, Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance, like that beginning part. Yeah. And I got to say, there's a lot of emo. Emo owes a lot of theatricality and performance to heavy metal. Yeah. Because there is just because I went and watched the video after I was singing the song and it is just so much like, you know, the pointing and the waving and the this and like it's very, very 80s heavy metal inspired. Yeah, I, that that email period was I was definitely I definitely didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, I, the, the emo that I remember is like the Jade Tree Records emo of like the promise <laughs> ring. It was definitely not theatrical. It was like wh- kind of whiny. Yeah, it was like slow dive for me. <laughs> that's where i was at with emo before the the panic at the disco and all that shit but all of those bands owe a debt to 80s metal i agree to hair metal if you if you have big hair right now thank your local metalhead and also find them and give them a sandwich and a dollar because they probably need it (laughs) your local metal metal head is suffering they're sticking their thighs into some um, leather pants right now and there's they're oozing out the lattice and just know that okay oozing out the lattice is the title of this episode <laughs> that's the name of my autobiography as well <laughs> Ooh, on that note <laughs> thanks for listening everybody thanks for listening This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media manager is Taryn Mazza. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 